It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for coming in, Mr. Mahoney. Do you have your member ID card? Yep, I have it right here in the FEP Blue app. See? Great. It's awesome. The app can also help me find a provider and keep tabs on my deductibles. Okay, can I... Oh, yeah, and my out-of-pocket spending and visit limits, and I can call the nurse line. I'm really glad it does all that, but I only need to see your member ID card. Oh, that's it? Why didn't you say so? Fearless is just one tap away. With the new FEP Blue app from Blue Cross and Blue Shield, you can access your health benefits on the go. Download it now at fepblue.org slash app. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. the drive for the Vikings. Asiata. No signal yet. Touchdown, Vikings. Big punt. And this one will be played by Shows. Rises the 30. Shows still going. Only the kicker to beat. Shows breaking free into the end zone for the Minnesota touchdown. Bradford on end zone. It is caught. It's another victory Monday on Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Audio Boom, follow myself, Sam Ekstrom, on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom, Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18. Minnesota is 5-0 at the bye. They defeat Houston 31-13, and they hope they're not done with Houston this year. They'd like to make a return trip down there in February. But we discussed the victory today in Lockdown Vikings, a drubbing, really, of the Houston Texans sage who looked befuddled, discombobulated, perplexed. Uh, It was not even close. Minnesota not allowing a touchdown or even a third-down conversion until Houston's final drive, just a dominant performance. Yeah, it really was, and I obviously I was probably the most off I've been. Uh, I think obviously both of us were off in our predictions. We expected the Vikings to win, but in a closer ball game, I expected a Blair Walsh field goal uh, to end it, and they obviously did not need that. So yeah, that defense. I mean, you, we could talk about it, and that we've been talking about it now for five weeks. We people talked about in the off season because that was the strength of their team last year. Their defense is just so good right now, and you know, are they going to stay this good for the next, uh, you know, eleven football games? Because if they do, you'd have to put them in, you know, some of the best defenses of all time, uh, including that Denver Broncos defense last year, which was superb. The defense just keeps doing what it's done the whole season, and the offense is now the thing that's improving week to week. Now, two weeks in a row, the Vikings have scored first. They've gotten off to fast starts. They put up points against teams with injuries and areas where they're depleted, so they've taken advantage of vulnerabilities 
on defense. And yesterday, without uh, missing a beat, without Stefan Diggs, they get the ball to Adam Thielen seven times, 127 yards and a touchdown. Cordero Patterson continues to be involved. He had four catches. All of them went for either a first down or a touchdown, including a very impressive catch in the back right of the end zone. He seems to be resurging, and Adam Thielen seems to be a star in the making. Yeah, what Thielen's doing, and I tweeted that out before the game yesterday, you know, what wide receiver you think is going to have to step it up or will step it up, and, you know, people would talk about maybe Treadwell might play more in this game and, you know, Thielen and, and Patterson and, it's obviously great to have both of those two guys, Thielen and Patterson, step up in this ball game. It's interesting to see the different things that North Turner has them doing. Uh, you see, you know, Thielen's receptions are coming more down the field. He's an excellent route runner. Uh, he's not extremely fast. He's not a guy they're just throwing the ball up to in one-on-one situations. But you know, when you have off-man coverage, the timing that he and Sam Bradford have uh, is is absolutely excellent. It's like they've been working together for years and. Patterson's doing different things. They're not throwing him on, you know, 15 or 20 yard comeback routes or these timing routes. They're throwing him on sort of quick screens or run plays. They'll throw it out to him when the corner plays off and he makes something after the catch. Uh, They're using him as more of a playmaker type receiver and Adam Thalen is more of your possession receiver. Having covered the Vikings now for three years full time, I've seen the fall from grace of Cordero Patterson. I, I saw him plummet off the map in 2014 and go from, you know, the budding star who everyone wanted to talk to and had lots of enthusiasm and lots of character and lots of flash, a little bit overly confident, maybe cocky, you might say, after all the success he had as a rookie and then totally humbled in the first two years under Mike Zimmer. He's no longer a part of the offense. And I think the difference with Patterson is he just had this reality check where he, he thought to himself, oh, this team didn't pick up my fifth-year option. My money-making days may be coming to an end if I don't build up my value for the next contract. And then he just began to realize, I need to do some of these little things. I need to run better routes. I need to be willing to fight for extra yards. I'm going to be a gunner if they ask me to. And it seems like that special teams work he's doing has propelled him to have this better attitude on offense where he's suddenly, you know, using the proper number of steps in his routes. He's uh, getting in and out of his breaks well, and he's just become this kind of reconstructed football player with Mike Zimmer's tutelage. And it's incredible to see his turnaround. Well, my guess is somebody or, or a few people had a good conversation with him. And, you know, he's not the first rookie who's had success that then, you know, had some struggles in his following year or years and, and sort of uh, went downhill. Uh, you know, the problem with being a great kickoff returner is, and if that's all you really do, and you say you pull a hamstring or, you know, you, 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 you have a, you tear your knee out or something, and you're just not quite as fast when you come back from those things as you were before, you don't have anything else that you can be good at. Um, and to make it in the NFL for a long time, you can't just be good at one thing unless you are, you know, a starting quarterback or a starting defensive end or, you know, one of those. You have to be good at multiple things if you're sort of a special teams guy or you're that third and fourth receiver. So, you know, the longer – I think a lot of times young players don't realize that is a lot of times these guys that are, you know, a guy like Marcus Sherrill's. You know, you can't just be a DB and be the third or fourth or fifth DB. You have to be good at all sorts of things. and and have to have a whole toolbox of, of, of value to the team. And I think you're, you're right, Patterson has, 
from being a gunner to, to adding some things in the receiving game to uh, just you know other, other things on special teams. Um, he has become a and you know, trying to make himself an important aspect of this football team because as you said, your your uh, your days uh, in the NFL are very short if all you basically have is your speed because over time your speed will dwindle. Let's talk about the quarterbacks for a moment. I thought Bradford was solid once again. He was accurate, made good decisions, uh, 22 of 30, passing well over 200 yards. I thought the most impressive throw he made was at the final play of the first quarter when Whitney Merciless body slams him into the ground. And I don't know how Bradford got rid of the throw, but he just he just flicked it to Jarius Wright on the money in stride on a crossing pattern, and they picked up a first down, and, and Bradford got licked. That kind of throw that's going to endear him to Vikings fans, when you can throw under duress like that, take big hits and get right back up, that's impressive. It is, and, and you know, North Turner has them. By the way, we, we, you mentioned Jarius Wright. That's another receiver that stepped it up for the Vikings yesterday. So sort of a group, group effort to you know take the place of Stephon Diggs. But, yeah, you have to stay, stick in there for the pocket. I was up in the alumni box, and we were talking – talking with some of the other former players about some of the hits taken. I'm like, you know, every quarterback takes usually about two really good shots a game. And uh, you know, whether it's Tom Brady or a lot of other ones, I mean, for the most part, you're going to take some tough ones. You're going to take little ones here and there, and you're going to throw up your back foot and, and get hit and fall down, which isn't a big deal. But you're going to take two or three usually really tough ones. And he took one right in the chops yesterday and you know, possibly could have been a call to – an unsportsmanlike penalty there looked like a little helmet to helmet or helmet to face mask, you know, type of hit. But uh, yeah, he's 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 a tough guy. You know, just because he's been injured, I think you know, a lot a lot of times in the past doesn't mean he's not tough. I think he's very tough. He's just gotten injured sometimes. And uh, you know, Norv does a lot of those little crossing routes. And a lot of times you have to hold onto the ball just a little bit longer for the receiver to cross the field and. And that just that one extra uh, half second that he held onto the ball yesterday allowed Jarius to cross the field, deliver the football before he took that shot. Yeah, uh, you know, offensive linemen, they don't love it. They don't love seeing the quarterback get hit, but they love it when a quarterback gets up from some of those hits. It's Locked On Vikings, Locked On Podcast Network, Sam and Sage. Subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Audio Boom. Make sure to follow Locked On NFL or Locked On Fantasy. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. I think the offense has been its most creative in the three weeks post Adrian Peterson. Sam Bradford is a 75% of the time shotgun passer. He in his career, he's about 70 this year. He's been about 75. Adrian Peterson would not have coexisted well with that type of game plan. And it begs the question, if he heals up by December, how much do the Vikings really want to change this offense that's now working really well, 27.5 points per game over the last two? They seem to be very diverse and unpredictable, even tossing in things like Wildcat. Do you want Adrian Peterson back, who's kind of a one-trick pony in terms of the running game? Well, it's crazy to sort of think like, man, you know, the, the Vikings are doing much better offensively, and not just offensively, but they're doing better in the running game. 
since Adrian Peterson uh, has gotten injured. I, I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. You know, they were shuffling a lot in, during training camp and, and during those early games with some injuries. And, uh, and you know, they're more experienced. I think they're starting to understand Tony Sperano's uh, way of coaching and the detail and these types of things. And, and the, the offensive line's playing better and better. But I tell you, there is a, a, a marked difference between uh, Adrian Peterson's running style and, and McKinnon's running style. Obviously McKinnon's smaller. He's quicker. Uh, he's got some good patience to him where he'll wait, 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 and then he'll hit the hole. Um, and, and Adrian doesn't quite have that. Adrian's just a bigger guy and a bigger back, so it seems like the, the linebackers and the D-line can see him a little bit easier. Uh, but obviously one thing that McKinnon can't do is he can't carry the ball 25 or 30 times a game for you know over the course of uh, you know, 16 games, there's just no way he'd be able to do that. His career would last for a year, maybe two years, if the Vikings gave him that many carries. But, man, he has looked really, really good so far. Asiata has been a nice a little change up there, and, and he catches the ball well the backfield as well. He's a good blocker. Uh, he, he totes it pretty well himself. So it's it's an interesting, you know, situation to have where your running game's actually improved uh, since Adrian Peterson's been out of the lineup. We'll see if the Vikings can keep that up, you know, over the course of the next couple of months. But that is, a, you know, a sort of, I guess, a good problem to have. But I would assume when Adrian's healthy, if and when he's healthy this season, He'll be back in that lineup because he's just too viable to that football team. I could see the Vikings slowing him back into the mix off of knee surgery and maybe going like 10 carries McKinnon, 10 carries Peterson, 5 carries Asiata, and then possibly increasing Peterson as the season goes along. It all depends on when he comes back. You know, if he comes back early December, there's going to be time for him to build it back up and sort of get reintegrated into this offense. Whereas if he comes back and playoffs are right around the corner, I just don't know how much you want to mess with what works. If it ain't broke, don't fix it type thing. It's an interesting talker and it's going to go a long ways toward determining, I think, how much money Adrian Peterson makes next year with this team, if he is with this team at all. Because if if he sees the writing on the wall, if he sees this team doesn't need me, and frankly, this team may not want me, I'm not going to take a pay cut for them. Yeah, we're a long, I think we're a long way from that. You know, we're sort of speculating pretty early here. But I think it's legitimate. I mean, the, it's, as we're both saying, the team's playing better without him. You know, another thing I, I, I didn't sort of bring up was, you know, in the passing game, both Asiata and McKinnon are much better than Adrian in the passing game. I mean, he's just – Adrian's just not a super skilled, uh, precise route runner. Uh, he doesn't – he's you know, he doesn't catch the ball great out of the backfield. Uh, he's gotten much better with his protections and his pass you know, protections, uh, you know, on third and down and things like that. But, you know, that was, that was not his strength early in his career. So these other running backs do some different things and sort of both of them together – probably aren't as good as Adrian, but I tell you what, as far as salary cap is concerned, uh, the two combined to make about one, you know, one sixth to one seventh of what Adrian makes. So yeah, the, the Vikings may have a decision on their hands come the end of the season. Let's talk about Osweiler for a second. Now, granted, the Vikings often make quarterbacks look bad and they made Aaron Rodgers look very normal. They made Eli Manning look pretty bad last week and Osweiler probably looked the worst of the bunch. Now, we hadn't seen a lot of him, and I'm not sure this is an accurate representation of Osweiler because it was definitely his worst game of the year, but 
he looked flummoxed by, by the Minnesota Vikings. Every third down, he was audibling at the line of scrimmage. And Bill O'Brien, after the game, took a lot of the blame. He really fell on the sword. And I think he was justified in doing so because it seemed strange to me early on that Houston was trying to push the ball deep downfield via the pass against a very good coverage team. And they were putting themselves in these long third down positions. So I crunched the numbers on it. Houston averaged a third and eight in this game. They had 13 third down attempts. They converted just one. Osweiler was three of 11 in third down passing, got sacked twice and threw an interception. And they didn't even run the ball once on third down. That means you are way off schedule and you're not doing the right things on first and second down. So combination of Osweiler struggling, being flustered by the noise, O'Brien trying to be too aggressive with the pass early on, not establishing the run. It, it just seemed like a disastrous game plan for the Texans. Well, it was sort of a recipe there for disaster. One, they got behind right away, and, and that's if the Vikings can get ahead early in ball games, that gives them a really big advantage to put pressure, you know, on the other team to have to score, uh, you know, a lot of points against this defense. And you're you're absolutely right about the running game. You have to run the ball against this Vikings defense if there is a little bit of a weakness. They, they do give up some yards rushing game, and uh, and you can run the ball sometimes against them, at least for threes and fours. You can't be in third and eight situations, third and ten situations, because you know a lot of teams will have to rush five or or six guys to get pressure. The Vikings could probably rush three guys and get and get plenty of pressure with that defensive line, and then you add a, a linebacker like Barr to the mix or, or Harrison Smith. Uh, out of the secondary blitzing, uh, it's it's a very you don't want that's a, that's a pocket that you don't want to be in. I'm not envious uh, of any you know third and ten situations facing this this Vikings uh, defense. And so uh, you could tell or in that ball game that as you said the Texans had some you know down the field shots, uh, but I think they were looking for a lot of single high safety man coverage. And for the listeners out there, that means you know. Uh, a free safety in the middle of the field with two man-to-man corners on the outside all by themselves. But what the Vikings did is they played a lot of two-safety defense because those third and eight situations, they weren't worried about the run. And they played a lot of two high coverages, which which meant you have to work the guy in the slot a lot. And that's why you saw a lot of those sort of uh, inside posts or those bender uh, routes by the slot guy. And that's a hard throw versus man-to-man coverage versus two-man coverage because a guy like Captain Mundlin is underneath the route then you've got safeties over the top, over the route, squeezing it. So uh, it's a very dangerous and, and low uh, low percentage throw. And the Vikings made uh, made Osweiler, you know, throw that same ball three or four times in the ball game. My guess is that O'Brien was calling that play, hoping to get you know single high safety, man to man coverage on the outside, so he could just throw it up and you know try to win some of those 50-50 balls uh, on the corner, probably opposite uh, Xavier Rhodes. It's Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. We're partnered with ColdOmaha.com, recording in the Cumulus Media Studios. Big thanks to them. It seems like Mike Zimmer has mastered the art of shutting down opponents' passing games, even if they are potentially explosive passing games. It's like Mike Zimmer has the keys. It's like he's figured out the formula. Now, now three games consecutively, he's shut down some of the best receivers in the NFL. How much of this is coaching? But how much of it is just straight-up talent on the defensive side? Because Mike Zimmer would tell you that it's talent. Obviously, he's being a little humble. He doesn't want to give away company secrets. But it, there's probably a little bit of both, right? Uh, it's a lot of both. And I think if you, uh, I think what the Vikings have done 
is they've gotten a general manager and his staff that have a history. And I, I've known Rick Spielman and George Payton for a long time. They traded for me way back in 2002 in Miami. And on that Miami team, in particular on defense, we had incredible athletes. Uh, this sort of goes back to the Jimmy Johnson uh, view of, of scouting, but tons of really good athletes uh, who serve for pound for pound uh, were a lot of times better than our opponents. But a lot of times those athletes, when they would draft them, they'd be very raw players, maybe not great coaching in college, maybe not great fundamentals, but, man, they could run, they could jump, they could hit. Uh, they were strong, you know, those types of players. Uh, and then you bring in, my, you know, Mike Zimmer, and you match him up with this, with 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 Coach Zim, and and he's really is one of the best coaches in the NFL. Guys who can truly coach and develop players, and I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot is development. Uh, you know, a lot of times young guys are expected to play right away now, and they're just not ready. It does take time sometimes just to learn the NFL game, to learn the techniques learn all the little intricacies that it takes to be a really good NFL player. And Zimmer does a fantastic job of developing these guys along, these really good athletes that the, that the GM and everyone else, they go out and find, uh, and turning them into really good uh, physical football players. And that's the way they play defensively is they play really physical football, a lot of man-to-man type coverage uh, with very good athletes and now very, you know, very good coaching. And so, yeah, I think it's a mix of both, but it's a it's a high mix of both. Really good good players uh, with very good coaching. Well, it helps that Zimmer's not a micromanager either, because if he was trying to have his fingers in every element of this team and trying to to run the team and do personnel stuff and do offense and do defense and and meddle in other people's affairs, he'd probably have less attention to straight up game planning and straight up you know scouting the defenses and and just developing you know these rookie this rookie class that he has he. He is very comfortable letting Norv Turner handle the offense. He's got George Edwards to help teach the fundamentals on defense. Mike Prefer is one of the best special teams coordinators in the business. And Mike Zimmer, he's excelling at those few things that he does very well, and that's coaching and that's game planning, and that's developing young talent. So when you have a team with that kind of healthy structure, I mean, it's really hard to fail because the Vikings are are so decentralized that – even if one person maybe has has the wrong motives or, or whatever, you've still got a lot of good people in that organization. Well, you really do. And a lot of times when a head coach takes over, you, you don't get just to go out there and pick any coaches you want. I mean, yeah, I'd love to have the best offensive line coach and the best offensive coordinator and the best defense coordinator in the league. But if they're the best or they're really good, they're probably on a team and that organization does not want to let them go and let them out of their contract. You can't just leave like, say, in college football, where you can just take off to another school sort of any time you want, it seems like. In the NFL, you can't do that. You're under contract. You're on that team until they let you go or you get, you know, you can trade for a coach. But, uh, you know, he was lucky with Prefer to walk into it to have one of the best uh, special teams coaches in the NFL to be able to go out and get Norv Turner, uh, who is, you know, tons of head coaching experience and one of the great, probably one of the great all-time offensive coordinators in NFL history. I mean, everywhere he's been, offensively when he's been a coordinator has had big time success. The quarterbacks have played well. The running backs uh, have usually had big seasons. So uh, he, this is a really big advantage to Zimmer is he didn't have to hire a special teams coach and offensively he could just sort of stay out of it. Let Norv do his thing. He knew Norv would go out and, and, and probably help get really good coaches 
and run that offense so Zimmer can really focus on uh, defense and, and the other aspects of, of being a head coach. And, and you know, another thing I think about Zimmer is, you know, really good head coaches, whether guys like Bill Parcells or Belichick, uh, and I think Zimmer's in the same mold as they understand uh, how offense and defense work together. A lot of times, you know, a head coach comes as an offense coordinator or defensive coordinator, and they really just understand their side of the football. I think Zimmer really understands uh, both sides of the football. I mean, if you had to, you could probably send him over to offense in, the, in a year or two. I bet you Zimmer could probably be a pretty def- decent offensive coordinator. He just has the football mind of understanding the entire game, which includes special teams. So I think he teaches that. Uh, as a head coach, he teaches just high-quality football in all three facets of the game. We've reached that time of the show where we give our X factors for the Minnesota Vikings win, a 31-13 win over the Houston Texans. Sage, you can go first. Well, it'd be those receivers, I'd have to say. I mean, you can talk about the defense all you want, but there wasn't really questions about this defense. There was questions about the receivers. Stephon Diggs after Adrian's injury, Khalil's injury, uh, Teddy Bridgewater's injury. He was one of the last remaining stars on this football team, and uh, they found three guys, so sort of by committee, uh, with Jarius Wright, with Thalen, with Patterson, all three of those guys really stepping up uh, to becoming – uh, you know, a, a really good combined receiving core. And, again, that has to do with the depth and the coaching that Zimmer and, and Rick Spielman have, uh, you know, done to this football team that wasn't there in the past. Uh, they've got good players. Uh, so even if their starters are out, they've got some high-quality guys behind them. Well, since you mentioned multiple guys, I'm also going to mention multiple guys. I've got two. I think one of these is a repeat X factor, Marcus Sherrill's He ties the team record for return touchdowns with his fifth career punt return touchdown, a 79-yarder where he slithered through traffic and got to the house, beating the punter and making it 24-0 Vikings, essentially sealing that game. Marcus Sherrills, who's been through so much with his brother's story, and by the way, his brother Mike, and we talked about this a few weeks ago on the podcast, who nearly died earlier this fall with, with some internal issues actually was back on the sidelines coaching in the Gopher game on Saturday. So a great weekend for the Sherrills. I think Marcus a big X factor in this one. And then on the defensive side, Brian Robison. Two sacks, could have had three, but he let one off the hook late. We weren't really sure this year how much Robison was going to contribute because people were talking about the acceleration of Daniil Hunter. Hunter was going to take all these reps away from Robison, but it's still been that veteran Robison on the end who's been solid with the rush. You know, he solidifies the run game pretty well, and he got rewarded with a couple sacks yesterday. Yeah, both those guys have been Vikings for a long time, and, you know, Cheryl's I could go on and on and on about, uh, you know, a guy that just seems to – sort of barely make the team but you know everyone in the organization know he's going to make knows he's going to make the team he plays in the fourth preseason game in the second half uh and here he is again returning uh punt for a touchdown it seems like he's he's going to be one of those guys that about every three four weeks he's going to make a really key play in the game whether it's on special teams or even on defense whether it's recovering a fumble or getting a key uh, interception or something about once a month he makes a play that really helps this football team. And, and yeah, Robison, that defensive line has been uh, a strength of this team, and Robison's definitely uh, you know, sort of the old leader, the old captain of that team, and uh, still very stout against the He's a powerful guy and still has some serious pass rush in him. So his career's definitely not done. A lot of good, lot of good years left, I think, and uh, he's leading that defense. Well, Sage, here's the plan. 
Vikings have access today and tomorrow, but then they're off for a bit. There's no team to scout for this Sunday. So, I mean, we'll leave it up to the listeners. Uh, If you have any ideas for what you'd like us to talk about this week during the bye, we're open to some creative ideas. Would love to do another Ask the Sage segment. Send me questions via Twitter or Sage via Twitter. Hashtag Ask the Sage, something about his playing career, something about the current Minnesota Vikings, and we can address those on the show. We're on Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, at Sage Rosenfels 18 Plenty of time to kill this week as the Vikings enter the bye with a nice 5-0 and record, the only undefeated team in the NFL. Sage, we'll talk to you on Wednesday morning. Good show today. Well done. Sounds good. Yeah, maybe this week we can talk about a little bit about, a little bit about the NFL and, and the NFC North and uh, other aspects of the league and you know see who the Vikings will be going against as they start to make this playoff push. Certainly a lot of teams to keep eyeballs on. The Philadelphia Eagles, who the Vikings play next, were undefeated until the Detroit Lions beat them yesterday. I think that went against both of our predictions, so the Lions getting a big win. Plenty to talk about this week on Locked On Vikings. Thank you, everybody, for listening. He's Sage. I'm Sam. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Hey, Locked On Minnesota listeners, this is Tony Abbott here to tell you about the brand new Locked On Wild podcast, where my co-host Joe Bully and I break down the Minnesota Wild every single day. How can you listen? Just search for Locked On Wild in your favorite podcast app and subscribe to bring Locked On Wild to your device every day.